That's right. And it's the holy cow, Major League Baseball finally came to some kind of agreement, but it's really not an agreement, but they're going to play games anyway. Edition. Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Bow. We've got baseball. What does this shortened season mean? Is there a way to make money? That's the question. Also, we look at the World Series odds. How have they been adjusted from the last numbers before COVID-19? Fezzik has an NFL team that's been a darling of the wise guys that he thinks is a fade this year. Also, NBA players, six key players opt out. What are the factors for the team? Obviously, they're not going to be on the court. Is it even more telling than that? Including, yeah, maybe it's a rant about Avery Bradley. NBA regular season motivation. There's those last eight games. Who to fade, perhaps? Also, Fez had a blind. He was forced to go blind. And let me tell you, he was honest because there's one team specifically that he thought, and this is the WNBA, and what he was doing is saying, okay, I haven't looked at the odds. I'm going to make my odds and compare them. That's really effectively how bets are made in sports betting. Now, Fez, we got one team that you love that you think is juicy at a certain price, correct? Yes. And one team you think is way overvalued. Absolutely. You feel confident on those? I do. All right. And then we got a best bet from Fez in the NFL. Also, Diamond Dave Esler. He is a Patriots expert. He has a bet on will they make the playoffs or won't they? Will Belichick do it without Brady? The Hitman has a over-under season stat bet on one of the biggest names that was traded this offseason, a wide receiver, a lot of attention. Showtime! Woo! Let's start, Faz, with baseball. We got the reality of the rules. We got the details. Question is, and let's go one at a time, what are the ramifications All right, let's start with the change in the rules. Obviously, 60 games, so shortened season. Two big changes in the rules. Number one, RJ, designated hitter. National League is going to use the the DH this year. We're not sure if they're going to use it next year, but uh, this is going to have a big, big impact on National League scoring. It took a look at what the average scoring the last two years, American League games versus National League games. American League games have been four-tenths of a run higher scoring, and this is despite the fact that the Colorado Rockies, obviously the highest scoring stadium in the in MLB, is in the National League. So if you would make an adjustment for Colorado, bottom line— So what would that adjustment be? One-tenth of a run. But what we're saying is what would be the mechanics of the adjustment? Oh, went ahead and t- took a look at what the average was for the Colorado and just took it out of the National so, League So average. you're saying in general— Colorado's one of one. It's a unique situation. There's a ton of scoring. It's going to naturally make higher numbers of scoring for the National League in aggregate, but it's not really representative. Take it out, and it's like, oh, okay. Now there's even more of an effect. If you take out that artificially high number of Colorado at home, and you're saying it's about a half a run you can expect to get from the DH per game. Yes. 
Okay. So how do we make money from that? Well, we see if the odds makers make the proper adjustments to National League games being higher scoring. So now we have what we consider to be objectively what the effect will be. Now we see, as usual, remember what makes it difficult about sports batting. And just being a fan, if just being a commentator on the radio or even your local bar, commentating, <laughs> Cliff Clavin style, you just got to be right. If you're right, that's enough. But if you're batting, you have to be right when other people are wrong. We think we have the right number here. The question is, will the market have the right number? Now, just quickly, if we don't know for sure what the number would be with, on any given game without a DH, you know, the old National League rules, how would we, like, give me a practical, it's day one of the baseball season. There's the slate of National League games. How would a listener figure out, is it being adjusted properly? All right, so last year the average score in the AL was 9.8 runs per game. Mm -hmm. NL 9.4. So I would expect that the average game in the NL would be dealt under 9.5, lay minus $1.15 or so. Now, isn't there a rationale that if you just take the average, that isn't what the total is because there's because uh, the higher score games can be so much higher? Yeah, isn't that's, that? That, that, that's a good point because— Wouldn't it be easier just to take what the average AL. total was? I think it would be easier actually to take what's the average total being dealt on the AL games versus the NL games and see what that differential is. Okay, but why would, why would, I guess my question is, let's just say for the sake of argument, the average total last year on National League games was eight and a half. Just keep it simple for a second, flat. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't we say, okay, now over some period of time, and remember, we wouldn't even know this, though, until like five games in because any average is going to account for your first start or your second start or your third start. But the first day, it's going to be all the aces. The aces. That's a great point. So you're certainly going to have lower. You'd have to look at opening day last year and opening day this year. if you But want then to there wouldn't apples. be enough sample size. Yeah. yeah. So I'm asking you how you would go about I mean, this isn't an exercise in throwing out numbers. It's I, an I, exercise in action. I think you look at the AL totals being dealt versus the NLs and you see, hey, are they are they still dealing the AL totals? Are, are, are the NL and AL totals going to be roughly equal or is the NL numbers going to be still slightly lower because of historic ERAs, et cetera, and that no longer looks to be to Okay, be now, now that's interesting. So what you're saying is over any reasonable period of time, though one day wouldn't be enough, the American League totals should be the same, again, on average, as the National League totals. And if they're not, that's a sign that because of something in the algorithm that's generating this, it's got some legacy data that's no longer pertinent. Yes, I like that legacy data term. That's, oh, that's good. Now, <laughs> now, the question is, how many games do you need before you can feel confident of that? Meaning it's not just one day, right? Yeah, it's not just one day because obviously you could have more – of your top aces pitching that first day in the AL versus the NL, you'd have to look and and factor that in in terms of the pitching the pitchers that are going the first couple of days. Okay, so what's the answer? I think you got to you got to do a more detailed analysis at that point. So what's the answer? Meaning what? 
at some point you're going to have to give advice. So well, what's your advice? Okay, my advice would be I think the aces and the AL and the NL are roughly pretty darn equal. So I would say the, from the very first day, I think you can go ahead and say, hey, if the AL significant games are significantly being dealt higher than the NL. Well, what's significant? I know say, you don't want to actually give advice you could be wrong about. I'd say more than a quarter. But you realize if you can't be wrong, you can't be right. I think more than a quarter of a run. Okay. So, but why would it even have legitimately be, be a quarter of a? Why would it legitimately be even a quarter of a run different? The American League higher. I don't think it should be. So why would any number above not be significant? Because they're obviously at some point there's not at some small number it's not big enough to bat, but it would be indicative of a lingering assumption that's no longer true. Yes. Okay. Because are you saying? Because I don't think, well, in fact, I know what I'm not trying to figure out is should we be playing all totals blind or something over in the National League? It's just, is this going to be a situation where it's over or pass? Because even if there's a quarter run bias, you don't want to bet against against that. You're not always going to bet on it, but you don't want to bet against it. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. That if there is a slight bias that we expect early in the year towards the overs, now it's just like you know reaching into that urn, and if it's going to be 52% overs, 48% unders, we can't blindly bet over, but we know we probably want no part of the unders, or it'd be very rare that we're going to bet an under. This actually validates your methodology, Fez. Average AL total in 2019, 9.4 runs. Average total in the National League, 8.9, so a half a run difference, which is more than the actual difference of scoring, the Colorado factor. So very good there. Looks like flashing here on the ticker, some teams considering playing in front of some fans. Sounds like one of your, like somewhere there's going to be something that happens. So some teams playing in front of some fans, and those teams are... Rangers, White Sox, Cubs, uh, Florida, or Miami Marlins. Huh. I mean, that hotbed in Florida, that makes sense, right? I got a feeling in general, I mean, we, we were certainly moving towards fans, and then there has been the spike. And we should say, you know, we had a pretty strong disagreement last week about the spike, as you called it felt like there was a lot of reason why there'd be a tick up in COVID cases and maybe tick isn't a strong enough word. Uh, my thinking was there hadn't been any proof yet that it was anything more than an exposure issue, as in there's just more people being exposed to each other. I just saw a little bit from Nate Silver saying, you know, some of these numbers are worse than you would think just for the, that element. I'm not sure net net how it's going to all pan out. As an actuary, Fez, uh, you know, you've delved into these numbers strangely a lot. I'm not sure exactly why. But uh, um, in the last week, the numbers you've seen, how's your thoughts gone on the trend line with COVID? It really varies by state to much more of an extent than I ever would have believed. Because, RJ, when I look at New York and New Jersey, those curves look very much like the projections that we saw three months ago where there would be, you know, a big increase and then it would tail off and the numbers are way down in Jersey and New York. However, in which wouldn't that be just based upon where they are at in the life cycle? 
Yes, towards the tail the tail end of the life cycle, but the life cycle was so quick. It like it it, it went up for like one month mm-hmm. and then it came back down. Mm-hmm. And here we're three plus months into the life cycle in Florida. Well, but but remember the life cycle is going to start in different. St- I mean, we're using a non technical term, life cycle. Mm-hmm. But what I would say the life cycle is is at a certain point, it's going to be like the virus, and I'm using that metaphorically, not the actual COVID virus, but. It's starting to spread. You know, it's seeded enough that here it goes. Two becomes four, becomes eight. And then, you know, I guess by definition, exponential growth is until that growth really starts to happen, it's that's all prelude. And and then at a certain point, you know, if it were a movie, it'd be like you'd hear some. It's starting. (laughs) And. There you go. So that's a different life cycle each state, right? Yeah, and I think what happened is the movie never really got started in California, in Arizona, in Florida because of the, all the social distancing got except, put in place except specific, Well, hold on. Specifically, Florida was renowned as DeSantos, I think his name is. The governor was like, hey, I'm a Republican. I don't care about COVID. You know, that's the way it's presented. Yeah. Again, we can all debate which is the best. I think in hindsight, it was probably per usual somewhere in the middle was the right answer. But Florida certainly wasn't like it was so protected, like someone using Perel all the time that, you know, that now that it started, it's like these, you know, they don't have the, the people in Florida don't have any defense system. I mean, Florida was actually a, a, a a good test case of saying we don't really we aren't going to socially distance all that much. Yeah, they enjoyed. But you say the, yeah, it's opposite of what you were. Well, just they saying. did that back in April. It's really as an actuary, the data is crazy in that. So well, you're not an actuary. You're a former, former actuary. That's a good point. So what happens? The data, it go, the number of cases goes up in Florida modestly, and you're like, hey, within well, what period are you talking about? I'm talking about end of April and then May. Mm-hmm. All right. And the numbers go up. You're like, yeah, we would expect that. We're reopening up Florida. But it's not nearly as um, significant as we would have feared. And then all of a sudden comes June. And boom, in not just Florida, but other states that are they're opening up, we're just seeing enormous increases in the average daily case. But, you know, it's curious, RJ, but not in the deaths. The deaths are pretty stable in those states. So The deaths per illness or well, number? Number of deaths per day have remained pretty constant in those So wait, days. you're saying the number of cases are going way up, but then the fatality rate is staying the same, not percentage, but raw numbers? Yes. So there's a significantly less percentage of people dying from it. Yes, and the, the average age, from what I read, of people catching it makes sense has, been, has gone down significantly. Or at least in the reporting of the people who are infected, the average age has gone down significantly. Which the average age of those affected, which means then the the mortality rate would probably go down. And the reason being, so, see, that seems strange to me because you would think in a state where, like Florida, where let's say social distancing wasn't emphasized, that kids, you know, people younger, they feel like they're indestructible, would be the type to go and ignore it, go to the beach, go to wherever, and thus get it more. What I'm thinking is there were so few cases in general that the people out and about really weren't at much risk. But when a case would get into a retirement community or something, 
it would be a hotbed for it, maybe. I, I guess it, if you tell me social distancing is not being taken seriously, my thought is generally younger people are the ones not taking it seriously. Sure. So why there'd be such a bias towards older people getting it in a state where young people are being frivolous about it or being reckless about it, that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense, other than a lot of younger people probably caught it and never made it into the statistics. Because they never they were asymptomatic. Asymptomatic. Yes, I didn't say. What's asymptomatic? Asymptomatic. <laughs> they had no symptoms. But you're, but as an actuary, you you you're not supposed to know those words, right? You just know the numbers. <laughs> but, <laughs> all right. So, so anyway, a lot of jibber jabber. What's your conclusion? Like, are, are at this point are you? Because last week you were. Uh, let me see how I want to say it. Concerned. <laughs> I think in a bubble, my, I think what? that we can make this work in, in, a in professional sports. In the Orlando bubble, in the W. Oh, so all you're so so all you're interested in is the sport, like humanity, death. <laughs> that that's not interesting to no, you. No, it's it. I've made no projections about overall deaths in the country. All I'm really concerned on is, are we going to have so that, sports? So when you were concerned about the spike, it meant the opposite. The downward spike in your bank account is effectively what you were concerned e- exactly about. Exactly right. My only concern was, one, are they going to play the games? And two, are there going to be any fans? So will there be a crowd home field advantage? I'm already a multi-millionaire. Hey, listen, that's how you get there, I guess. Just disregard for life. Liberty, even happiness. How many, let me ask you a question. If, there, if, if, if God presented you with two options. Oh, dear. Option number one is sports goes whole hog, and there's going to be zero COVID deaths. Oh, no, no, let's do it this way. Sport gets to go whole hog, but there's going to be a thousand additional deaths because of just the extra engagement, the interaction, the touching, the, the, the opposite of social distancing, the intimacy socially. So really the expense of all of this is a thousand lives, but these are a thousand people you don't know. He tells you for sure, this is like the box, he tells you for sure that you won't know anyone that dies. They'll die, but you won't know them. Scenario two, sports is canceled all the way through 2020. There's not another bettable sporting event till next year, but every life, those thousand are saved. What do you do? Well, I think and you know your, what... And he wants... He, he went, it's, we have a rule it's, here. It's, here's the thing. It's not something that your answer dictates it, you're on a council, and he's, let's say, polling seven people. So, And he's not even doing a vote. God doesn't need votes. He's just contemplating. But your opinion could sway him. You just don't know. But you don't have to feel like the blood's on your hands. I push the box. I push the button. So you'd want the sporting events. Yeah. So the thousand deaths... 
Where's that number? At what point would you say, I'll, I'll eat the bullet? Well, what's interesting is when you were thinking about this, RJ, I, I saw your eyes. You know, you don't do this very often, but you had, a, you had like a fezzik moment, and I do this all the time, where like— Fezzik moment? First yeah. of all, you don't have to be mean. I apologize. I could, I could see you contemplating, thinking, "Wow, I should, I should have used like five thousand. I, I could see no. you thinking, no, because a thousand so low relative. A thousand to, deaths are so. That's low. a low number compared to your bank account. <laughs> compared to like the greater um, good being for all of society, having but, sports back, including myself. Okay, that begs another question. There's two scenarios. One scenario is that God says, I'm going to create an alternate universe that is going to be identical to this universe, except for you're the only one that's going to have insight into it. It's going to be like a simulation, and you're the only one in that simulation. But at the end of it, whatever money you've won betting, whatever money you've lost, that consequence moves on. You're going to merge back in with the rest of the normal people. But during that time period, everyone else on the planet has no sports. So you, in a way, are getting a private simulation, and you're on a track with sports. Fezzik's off. Now, you get to, you know, you're home with the family and everything. You're back into their simulation. It's just when you're bet- or back into their reality. But when you're betting, you're off almost like you're teleporting somewhere. So effectively, you got sports to bet on. No one else has sports. The other scenario is they have sports, but you can't bet. So the question is that when you really uh, narrow down on this equation, narrow in on this equation, what it's saying is would you take sports away from everyone else for them to be bettable for you? No. So you'd allow 1,000 people to die to bet, but you wouldn't take sports away from people to bat. Well, they, I'd allow a thousand people to die if everyone else could enjoy the sports, but not just for me to make money. Okay. All right. But 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 again, you would literally say, I would take, I will not, I will accept not gambling through the end of 2020. In exchange, the world gets sports. So yes. you you care more about other people watching sporting events then you care about your ability to bet on them as long as i can bet in 2021 i mean i don't even know what to think because in general those two seem so ass backwards like on one hand i totally understand it seems like a thousand people dying is worse than like six months or not even six months without sports for, you know, it's like July, it's going to be August, right? So it's five months. So five months of sports for everyone just to watch versus a, a thousand deaths. It just seems weird that you're saying a thousand deaths are fine. I, I want to bet, but I'm willing not to bet as long as people can watch the I, White Sox. I don't think Sox. My, my betting has anything to do with it. I think the country's no, no, better the, off. First of all, the betting is the only reason you're involved in this conversation. All right. All right. I mean, what else do you think is being asked right now? Like, Well, that's why I think it was good that you isolated it and asked me if it was just a parallel universe and it was just me. Yeah, but what you think is good isn't the question. I mean, that's the Fezzik show. I'm not sure when that's starting, but that's the Fezzik show. 
My question is, you think the sports are worth more by a significant margin for people to watch than a thousand lives? Yes. So let's think about this. There's 150 days, let's say, left. In, come August 1 or so, there'll be 150 days left, left in the year, I think, right? So five months. So that means that, like, imagine seven people being guillotined every day. And, like, once the seven head lops off, it's like, okay, let the games begin for the day. And each day you would just send those seven to their death. And you'd be sitting there laughing, smiling, like De Niro and Kate Fear eating popcorn. Like, worth it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? I don't even know. What, like, this might be the only time I've ever... I, like, I don't know what to say at this point. At a loss for words. No, I mean, like, ask a question. Like, what are you wondering right now? Uh, how, that, how, this, how that, this works, how it's happening. How, I don't understand. You don't understand my hypothetical? No, I don't understand how the, the, the sports is more important than the thousand lives. You know what this is? He's decided somehow that, he, that if he marries the love, the, the, the necessity and the value of sport to society, he can piggyback that with he knows in any real reality if, if sports is going on, he's going to be able to bat them. <laughs> so in a way, by him saying... It's the, the glory of sports is its own end. That is our North Star. It's really effectively saying, yeah, and I'm going to be able to bet every day along the way. He, he, he. And, but he doesn't have to say that he's betting. That, that's the reason. He can say it's the glory of sports. So like a guy who loves a strip club, he just loves strip clubs, could talk about third wave feminism and say, I believe every young and, and very shapely and beautiful, especially girl, should have the right to dance naked. I don't particularly like it, but it's about freedom. But then he gets the, if he wants, he can be at the strip club. Hmm. Morality is great when it's self-serving, right? Exactly. How do you just come up with this? I, I mean, the way the Hollywood said that, that was succinct and <laughs> tremendous. I don't know. It's a gift. It's not that much of a gift. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Would you accept that that's what's going on here? I think that there's a... F yes. <laughs> All right. We've solved that riddle. Moving on. Because <laughs> it befuddled me. I can't lie. All right. Okay. Some of these are... Perhaps in a very boring universe, an interesting topic, Steve. So let's go over these questionably interesting topics very quickly. In fact, we'll give a, about 90 seconds per. Run line betting we talked about. Scoring going up we talked about. Now live betting. What do you think is going on there? It's going to be opportunities in live betting, I believe, to bet overs late in the game. When the game is close, RJ, because obviously... Okay, so we talked about this one. We can do this even quicker. So your rationale is maybe the in-game algorithms are not going to understand the increased betting or check that scoring you see in extra innings. And because of that, bet over if extra innings look to be coming up 
And how do we predict that? Late in the game, close score, tie score. The question is, why not wait until it actually is? Ninth inning's done. It's tied. There's a time in between there and the top of the 10th. Why not bet it then over? Because the odds makers like are more likely to make the proper adjustment once the game has absolutely gone into extra innings versus when the game's tied after seven and a half innings where they may not make the proper adjustment earlier. So what you're saying is that they're going to be aware that there's extra scoring in extra innings because of the new rule, and thus as they enter extra innings, they're going to account for that. But when they're in the seventh, eighth inning and they know that, hey, it's a close game, there's a chance, a real chance, material chance that there's going to be extra innings. They're not going to make that next connection. And by the way, those extra innings are going to have more scoring, so we got to account for that. Possible, but... I see it in the NFL with overtime games. Go when ahead, team, explain. When a team's down seven, for instance, and they just don't make the proper enough adjustment of, hey, you know, this game has a, um, that extra, the overtime points really help the over betters when a team's down seven versus if they're down five. But in that case, it's not, that's interesting. So what you're saying is it's not so much they misassess what the expected scoring in overtime would be, but rather the very fact of at this point in the game, there's a real chance of a, a greater chance of overtime. And that's we better consider, let's say, if there's a 20% chance of overtime, the average scoring in overtime is X, then 0.2 times X equals add that expected points, and you're saying they don't do that? Yes. Okay. So, But then under that theory, then, betting over would have been just as pertinent last year. Yeah. And in meaning, baseball. Meaning in baseball. Yeah, yeah. But baseball has taken this into consideration, certainly. Okay. So the, then in theory, they would in this case, too. In theory, yeah. Okay. But it is interesting. You're saying the NFL, literally, if it's down seven, team down seven has the ball with two minutes and 30 seconds left, the over-under doesn't account for a decent chance of overtime. No, it's much more when there's like nine minutes okay. left. Okay. Yeah, that they so still when does fall. It, but when does it is it, like a, is it like a binary? It goes from no consideration to full consideration? How does that happen? It seems like it doesn't happen until there's only about six minutes left when okay. they start to really take it into consideration. And there's an example of a guy that's in the trenches with the live batting. And, you know, any of those inefficiencies, you never know if they're going to carry over year to year. But it's interesting. Okay, World Series future odds. We looked at the odds as of March 16th, which was right in our salad days, the days of innocence before COVID-19. Now we're looking at them. What's your observations? What's changed? These teams are effectively the same teams. Obviously, it's a different season, 60 games, et cetera. What's changed? What's changed is because it's a shortened season, the big, big, big underdogs certainly have a better chance than they had in a full season. Okay. You going to give a why? Because over a 162-game season, there is almost no chance that a really bad team, a team that's supposed to that's going to win less than half their games, is going to make the playoffs. But over a 60-game season, it certainly can happen. So... A team that's going to win less than half their games make the playoffs. When does that ever a team happen? That's supposed to, that their expectation is to win, say, forty-five percent of their games. That that team could certainly win sixty percent of their games over a sixty-game sample. Okay, so really, what we're saying is, and for some reason you're saying it very differently, is that less sample size means increased variance. 
whatever the truth is, if, there is, if God again was involved and came down and said, here's the truth, now the question is, hmm, here's a team that the truth is they're a 500 team. And then it's like, okay, what's the odds of them doing well enough to make the play good well, yeah, well enough to make the playoffs over 162 games? And then, well, what's the chance of them doing well enough to make the playoffs over 60 games? Because it's a smaller sample, the odds of an outlier, something being one, two standard deviations away from expectation goes up. It's almost like saying, what's the chance of beating Michael Jordan in a game of horse? Yeah. If you, if you play him one time, winner take all versus best of 21. Mm-hmm. It, it's the truth exerts, exerts itself over a longer period of time. Thus, a shorter period of games means the truth means less. There's more randomness. Yes. And, and that's these teams that we can be fairly confident, though it could be, hey, the market's just playing off. Okay, but let's assume the market isn't. Because if the market is generally close, whatever the truth of those teams are, if it's bad, that's why they got 500 to 1 or whatever. The odds of them, I guess maybe the way to say this is this. The odds that the truth is wrong is the same. Meaning the market is making it, and maybe even that's less likely now. Meaning oh, that there's, you know, there's, more, of that. there's more random, meaning there's more variables that are hard to assess. Anytime you just change so much... It's hard to know how, you know, we've been debating, and we'll talk about that next, bullpens, how important are bullpens. The market might think it's a certain importance, and the truth might be different. So a team, a bad team like the Tigers, maybe I thought they'd only win 38% of their games. Maybe that assumption Mm -hmm. over a shorter season is wrong. Maybe they should win. Well, not even the shorter season. Just given the givens of this season, on a per-game basis, our assessment of how good the team is might be wrong. Yeah, because we don't know how certain teams are going to react to it in terms of even they're not having um, spring training yeah, yeah, in whatever, Florida, Arizona, instead, whatever. Yeah, whatever but, those factors are that make this season different. A team might be – we might certainly see bigger variances in expectation of how the teams are going to perform on a game-by-game basis, not just over the course of a season. And I think that's not the words. I think the word, and maybe that's right, I'm not sure, because I'm not sure exactly what you said. But what I am saying is this. There is a truth of how good a team is. If there were, was a supercomputer that was able to, you know, ultimately there will probably be a computer program, an algorithm, that can figure out the NFL or whatever, almost like chess. I, it's called, a, you know, there's certain games, not chess so much. It's a solved game that there is just a best move at any given situation. And that's those games die because if the only way, like tic-tac-toe is a solved game. We know that, you know, if you play a certain way, you can't lose, right? Mm -hmm. If football or baseball were solved, we would be able to assess how good, oh, look, they just signed this guy. That adds 1.3 wins, blah, blah, blah. It'd be just second nature. It'd be hard to have a betting market there. There's a truth. We are trying to assess that truth. Now, what makes it difficult is we never know what the original truth was. Was at the end of the year, oh, look, St. Louis won the World Series. Doesn't mean they were the best team. So it's it's why it's so tough. We don't know if we're right to start with, and we don't know if we're right at the end. Right? So the best you can do is estimate, watch what happens, and adjust your estimates. 
But there is a truth how good these teams are. I think the distance between the market assessment of these teams, what the betting market thinks, and the truth is going to be greater this year than in prior years. Why? Because there's so many variables, so many uh, uncommon or unique situations that we don't know how to assess. It's almost like, remember Green Bay last preseason played a game in Canada and it was only like 80 yards oh, or something. Oh, yes. That, that is a great example. We've never seen a game with 80 yards. We right? didn't know how to, you know, so to me, those are the, some of the most fun games to handicap because you're thinking, and thus, it's almost like the difference between heads up hold'em and a nine handed ring game. Most plays in a nine handed ring game are by the book, as in if you do this, it's right. If you don't, now there's going to be a certain number that there's a range of things. And. The percentage of hands, though, in a nine-handed ring game that you had to truly make a decision is small. Yeah, and that's why guys can play 12 tables at once, multi-table, well, yeah, and, and, and win. Not but, play optimally, but win. But I think in those games, in general, they're like you said, they're playing suboptimally. But even in a normal ring game, you're not making a ton of decisions. Heads up, if you're a decent player to start with. Heads up, you got to make decisions. And unfortunately... <laughs> I haven't heard all the details, but apparently we have an update in the Heads Up Challenge. But Heads Up, there's a dis- almost every hand's a decision, but you know, no, let's say a lot more, right? Why? Because you face situations you've never faced before. I think what we're seeing in baseball is situations we've never seen. There's no by the book. There is no standard. Thus, our ability to assess it is going to be less accurate. Thus... One of the reasons the variance goes up is simply because we're going to be more wrong about more teams, right? Yeah, no doubt. And number two, even once we know or if we did know how good the teams were, the variances of a short season means a team gets hot that's really only 45% winner and they win 58%. The odds of that go up. So there's two reasons I think there's additional variance in this year's baseball and Hmm. I think in the NBA, there's going to be additional variance because of assessing how good the teams are, but not because of the number of games, right? Because, I mean, once the playoffs right, start— Right, because we've got the same format yeah. once, once we get down to the final But game. there still is a higher variance you know, the, because of yeah, our inability to assess the teams, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And you've said that all along. Now we're saying it about baseball, but for two separate reasons, which we really haven't defined that it is two separate reasons. So to recap, and tell me if you agree with this, Steve— is in the NBA, for example, we believe there's going to be greater variance in who's going to win the title. Do you agree with that? Yes. And the reason isn't because of small sample size, because effectively once the playoffs start, it's the normal format, correct? Yes. Thus, the variance is we're faced with situations we haven't seen in the bubble, no home court advantage, questionable motivation, etc. And thus, our ability to assess how good these teams really are is compromised, and thus a team could be perceived very incorrectly, which means our ability or the chance of someone who's a long shot winning goes up because they might not truly be a long shot. They might just be perceived as a long shot. Yes. That's the first reason that variance goes up in baseball. Same thing, right? Mm -hmm. But in baseball, additionally, the format is less games, and thus even if the teams were properly assessed – 
there's still a chance that in that short period of time, the vagaries of luck would have a team win more or less games percentage-wise in an extreme. Yeah, during the regular season, it's going to be yes. a luck fest. Well, in, it's going to be more, 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 more luck. Yes. Not a, I don't know about luck fast. It's going to be more much luck. Much more luck, yes. Mu- if you say so, much more luck. Thus, there's two reasons the variance goes up in baseball, correct? Yes. Okay, and one reason in NBA. Yes. Though I would make the case not to muddy it, but that inability to assess factor in both, I think, is stronger in the NBA. Because of a bubble, I mean, it's just so because different. If you're playing away from home for two months, and that could have a dramatic change in how a team plays. Yeah, I mean, I just think in general, there's more of those factors. Yeah. And obviously, though, baseball has less of that, but adds in the additional low, high variance because of the low number of games. Mm-hmm. But in both cases, whoever the, if you just told me in a normal year, you can have the top three favorites or the field, my inclination to take the top three favorites plummets this year. And I'm, three's just a random number. It could be two, it could be four, whatever. Yes. And the numbers say that. So give me some examples of some teams that went from a jumbo payout to less jumbo. Well. Oh, never- hold on, hold on. Someone's saying this is a must. I mean, I don't want to, but. Oh, All right, the three biggest long shots. By a coincidence, when I get the only in dreams, Steve wants to scream over it. What were you thinking there, Steve? <sighs> that no. it wasn't for you, thus it doesn't, it's like, like it's not happening? Like, like, just share. Drop the ball, no comment. I mean, but, <laughs> Mackenzie, do you, do you think that if, if, if Steve were getting the in dreams that he would have talked over it? No, I think you would have relished it a little bit more longer. I think you're right. Continue, Steve. All right, three biggest long shots. You know something? Hold on. I'm taking. I'm going to do this myself, just as a punishment. I'm going to give the audience a little treat. Okay, Marlins. Again, this is. Huh? Let's see. Do we want to start? Yeah, let's start on. Let's do the March 16th. So March 16th, thousand to one. Currently 500 to one. The Tigers, 1,001, 400 to 1. Baltimore, 1,001, 400 to 1. And then the Mariners down from 500 to 1 to 300, et cetera. Now, Steve, it strikes me that, hmm, okay. So the long shots have a better chance to win. That's their odds go down. That must mean the favorites have a less of a chance to win. Their odds must be improving. That's what I expected, RJ, but the favorites' odds have not been improving. In fact, if you look at the top 10 favorites consensus line, the vast majority of the favorites' odds have gone down as well. So wait a minute. We're saying there's a better chance of the long shots covering or winning the title, and there's a better chance of the favorites winning the title. Yes. I don't think that's possible. No, it's a zero-sum game. Cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. I'm going to actually do some analysis here. My, I mean, obviously, we haven't, we, well, we haven't done it team by team looking at the actual implicit hold, but it seems almost impossible the hold hasn't gone way up. Oh, it has to. And, I mean, the theory is in the middle. There could be, but, you know, but... 
we can say cockroaches, and I think that'd be appropriate. But we also can say when the bookies are scared, what do they do? They increase the VIG. And I think this is a sign they see the same uncertainty. And to be candid, the place you can hide hold percentage is in pools like this because there's, you can't say mostly. I think Circa does sometimes, but you can't bet no on these teams. That's why not keep them low. Yeah, you know what? I think you deserving of it only in dreams on this one well, but as then well. You just would jump on it anyway. Yeah, I'd step on that one too. But no, but I mean, it's a great point because if you're a bookmaker, you're like, ah, I'll make my 40% or 30% on futures. Ah, you would go 25% in the NFL. I know. Yeah. You know what I'm we trust yeah, that. What's up? We're on them, baby. Yeah. Here we go. Let's get it. Tuition paid. Do you notice, Matt, I let them get going, and then just right over top of them. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> Anything else to say, Steve? No. <laughs> Let's talk bullpens. Now, your first instinct here was Buster Olney? What's, he, what's that schmo know about baseball? He, what he said was, and it was pretty cryptic. It took a lot of digging to figure it out. Mackenzie's digging. Very difficult. But we uncovered it amazingly, didn't we, Mackenzie? We sure did. I mean, you just kept, like, my dad was a coal miner. You just kept, like, you had the hat on. <laughs> the, the, I mean, it was, whew, it's hard. Almost got carpal tunnel. Coal miners don't get carpal tunnel. They work in tunnels. <laughs> People like you that tap on a computer get carpal tunnel. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, Fez, you thought, what's he know? Yeah. So maybe give that pitch and then, uh, no pun intended, and then we'll kind of explain how you're wrong. Yeah. So he came out and said, hey, this is the year that bullpens are key. They're critical. My take was that the bullpen is less important this year with only 60 games. The longer a season, the more fatigue you're going to have on all your pitchers, the more critical I would think it would be to have a good bullpen would be in a longer season. So to me, a good bullpen, the question is how top heavy is it meaning i think we'd agree the yankees had some some a good bullpen last year at the top like first guy out second or or closer setup man strong right yeah very strong if you actually look at their era last season i think mckenzie mentioned it was ninth so you know top third of the league but not as strong i believe or i know buster only was talking about the depth so what you're saying, Steve, is the accumulated fatigue that over a shorter season, you're going to have less accumulated fatigue and thus the depth of the bullpen doesn't matter as much. Exactly. And I think that's a valid point. Would you agree, and I think you would, that with less time to prep in spring training, the reason that baseball has the additional um, members on the team where it's like uh, the roster Starts out big, then I think it's thirty. Yeah. Then there's one cut, and then it cuts to the normal. The assumption is, hey, these pitchers are not going to be fully ready. They're going to go short innings early in the season. The, the starters. Yes. So we're probably going to see a lot of five and six inning starts for the starters the first couple weeks for all the teams. Short. Yes. Okay. So now, or it could be even four and a half innings, right? Four. I guess four and a third. Four, four and, and a third. Yeah, yeah, something. Maybe, yeah, even three and a third. Yeah, sure. Okay, so now the question is, 
And that lends itself to, which I think we were talking about beforehand, in general, the way that you weight the starting pitcher in a typical handicap should be different early in the year, right? Yes. That's a great point. Yeah. Yep. Because now, instead of the, the starting pitcher being 70% of the handicap, maybe it, he should only be 55%, right? In terms of, all right, how so long we expect to go? Is 70-year number? I haven't handicapped baseball day-to-day for over 10 years. It's but, too high. But I always had it at 50-50 as the normal. And I'm, No, I was saying as far as the pitching aspect of it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. No, that's probably right. You know, it's funny. May, I think back in the day that I was handicapping, 70-30 – Starter over relievers, just looking at the pitching, sounds right. I I always had it fifty fifty, as in starter, right. you know, versus everything. But again, back again, most of my, I mean, I it's funny, I beat baseball a ton in the nineties. I mean, this was, and I actually got lucky here, like baseball prospectus. I think there was a couple baseball analytics sites that had cracked through a little bit. And I was on the internet like in 96, so a lot of people weren't yet. There used to be this uh, sports site, DBC. I don't know what they – it wasn't any Don Best relation, but it was um, – you know what's funny? I'm not sure if it was because at the time I didn't even know who Don Best was. So maybe it was and I didn't realize. And they were calling themselves the Don Best Company. I don't That's interesting. But they actually had – Boy, I wonder if any if anyone else remembers this because this is one of those niche things. It was that computer sports world that the Stardust had was like this. They had this massive treasure trove of data that you could buy the archive files on, and then that's what they would put up in the handicappers' corner at the Stardust. And then as time went on, you know, the company, I think maybe Vegas Insider somehow was involved or bought them, and then it all just kind of faded away. But you remember the handicapper's corner, right? At the Stardust? Yeah, and you know, Joe Lupo used to pride himself about all this information he was providing and then Well, well I would think so. At the it, time it, no one had hardly anyone had a computer. Yeah, but he did say, hey, the really good stuff we keep uh, we keep behind closed doors. So that doesn't invalidate that he was providing value, right? You think he was gonna put the stuff out there that was like, here's a way to beat us? No, and it really was a nice resource for all the betters. But somehow you're crapping on it right now. Yeah. Because that's just your nature. Like yeah. Even Joe Lupo, who I don't even know if he's alive. We don't want him getting any credit. I think he's the number two guy at Borgata now. There you go. Don't give him any credit. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was writing for Gaming Today for a while, right, if I remember? Lupo? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, I know Shatler was, right? Yeah. But that, huh, that's interesting. Um, I was just writing a note down here. Let me see. Starter means less. Early in season, Steve is eager to... Oh, wait, never mind. That was me. Hey. What? Hey. Oh, please, don't be mad at me. Whatever you do. Okay. Another... So, number one, accumulated fatigue, you're saying not a big deal. Obviously, less of a big deal. I'm saying less time to prepare. Thus, the starters go less innings. Bullpen's more important. Yeah, seems very valid. Number two, how many games are being played in any given period? We did a little bit of math here. 0.92 games a day currently this season. 
0.87 games a day, typical season last year. That means every 20 days you're playing an extra game. Now, what's interesting is, Mackenzie, we should have went one more step here. I, I thought that was a good number. How many days off typically are in 20 days last year? So I guess you would take 20 times 0.87. Give me that number. And now the fact that it's one additional game every 20 days, mean it might be like 30% of the days off are gone. So actually you might think, okay, one extra game every 20 days, okay. But actually if you look at it, last season's numbers, there was 2.6 games off every 20 days. Now with one extra game, it goes to 1.6. So if you actually take the one game that's additionally, you know, it's being removed from the games off, divided by 2.6, and you're getting, what do we got, Fess? Yeah, you're losing 38% of your days off. You're losing 38% of your days off. That's pretty big. So imagine instead of 10 days of vacation, getting six. I think that's right. Or instead of 100 days, getting 62. You have any other permutations? No. Uh, <laughs> you got to wonder if I'm going to actually like beat it out of him, him doing that by making fun well, of him. Most Americans get like 10 days vacation. You know, no, I, but, yeah, but I think most that. Americans can figure out what 38% of 10 Fair is. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is whenever you use your worst, like, I'm saying this, I shouldn't really, but I don't know any better. You always say, like, imagine that you always, like, hype it up the most. Like, drum roll. Imagine. It's like, that guy didn't get any food for 40 days. Wow. Imagine having 20 days with no food. <laughs> then five more, five more. Then imagine five more and five more. That's 40. It's like, yes, it is. <laughs> Imagine not getting your hair cut for four months. Yes. I'm thinking it's a lot like three months plus a month. I mean, isn't that exactly what you do? Yes. <laughs> or do you, like, do you think you're, like, maybe I'm missing the subtlety. Do you think you're doing that or do you think you're doing something different? Like, what are you trying to accomplish is the question, I guess. Well, I was trying to make it relatable to everyone who had Oh, so Steve, Fezzik, so Steve Fezzik, literally the guy who has the least in common with the common man. You were, tr you were thinking, I'm the one to come up with an analog for these peons. Unfortunately, well, I wouldn't say it that well, way. Well, yeah, you wouldn't. You'd think it, but you wouldn't say it. Listen, everyone that has listened at any length of time completely understands that if you thought you could get some ego gratification, you might say hi to him, but otherwise you're going to be going with your tinted windows up through the gate. If it was Michael Jackson style and everyone's at the gate hoping to see you, how, how are you responding to that? You're going to walk out, hang out with your people. Well, I've been known to talk at a Seven Eleven. Yeah. Because Again, you're getting your ego gratification. You're hoping you might get a free burrito. Who knows what the game you're playing? But again, you don't want... Let me ask you this. Imagine you get a tweet and it says, Steve, listen, I've been listening to you for years. I'm Team Fezzik. RJ's too hard on you. 
I mean, I know RJ's trying to, you know, he's doing it for us. But I don't care. I'm Team Fezzik. By the way, tough break with COVID. I lost my job. But my wife and I are coming out because we already had this for our 10th anniversary. And we were thinking, and I know this is asking a lot, Steve, Team Fezzik. Could we, I, we hear you have 7,000 square feet. Is there any chance we could stay with you? How's that going to go? That's not going to go well. Why not? There's going to be no reply from me. So it's literally no reply. No re- oh, not even close. No reply. Comparatively speaking, you are like a grain of sand in the Sahara Desert. Yeah. And I am the entire desert. Maybe the greatest on-point drop ever. (laughs) So, probably not the guy to try to think like the common man. But you know what's great? They all know it. And the beauty of it is they're thinking, you know something? I'm going to get one over on Faz. Because if I follow him in his ruthless ways, I'm going to do better. And unequivocally, they would. And thus... They get to benefit from you and exploit you. That's, I, th- I welcome that. Because you, listen, here's the way to think about it. You're either on Fezzik's side or you're against him. And as much as it's hard to stomach sometimes being on his side, it's much better than being against him. There's bookies literally that's retired over it. Matt Holt still, Maddie was on the Fox show today and. He'll tell you how it's like his analogy was it's like wrestling a barrel of snakes. You, you take pride in that because you were smirking like you're happy at that. Well, it was interesting how Maddie would come back after meeting with his associates and say, Fez, is it true that you did this, that, the other thing? And now you're asking me for a favor? Huh, you're lucky to be playing there still. But still, it didn't stop you. Oh, no. Like a barrel of snakes. <laughs> we, we should actually get, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to get like a sound effect. But it's going to have to be like a lot of snakes. Like feeding. Oh, that's it. Sna- I'm just going to put that note. Snakes feeding Fezzik. I mean, I don't know exactly what that is. All right. So. A lot less rest. And what does that mean? Bullpens get extended. That obviously speaks to depth. Depth becomes more important. Like Buster says, wouldn't you agree? I agree. So net-net, no accumulated fatigue or less so. But less time to prep means early in the season, especially the arms won't be in as good a shape, won't go as deep, more bullpen. And then throughout the whole year, the 20 or the uh, lack of rest, less days off. And remember, there's double headers and all that, so it's not exactly oh, no double headers. They're saying no double headers. No the whole double season. headers. It's part of the safety protocol. See, that seems weird. You would think that's interesting. If you had a double header one day and a day off, versus playing a game and a game. Wouldn't the double header in the day off be better for rest? You would think so. There's, you know, there's. So then I'm confused why this would be a good thing. There's like showering protocol. They're encouraging players not to shower, although it's not. Well, but we're, we're changing the subject, aren't we? I'm talking about double headers. I think they shower between games when they play a double header. 
So that's why they can't have them? That would be one of the reasons. But if they play a day and night, right, doubleheader, mm-hmm. they can shower. Even if they were showering in you know, individual shifts, if it was hours between the game, right? Yes. So that doesn't preclude doubleheaders. What do you think, Mackenzie? Would you say that if the two choices were game, one game, then the next day one game, or a doubleheader and a day off, which is better for fatigue? For fatigue, I definitely think any player would rather have a day off. Yeah. I wonder what baseball... But for uh, for safety purposes, I think the idea of testing before or having the opportunity to test before every game might be more difficult in a doubleheader. I might be wrong about that. Why? I mean, they're not going to get it during the game. I mean, if they do, that means the test failed to start with, so the test won't be relevant anyway, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I'm I'm not sure why they opted for no doubleheaders. Well, it's good you got that in, though. All right, but you know, is it me or I haven't seen that double header in any the lack of double headers in the notes? Have uh, 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 did we miss that? And Steve actually had it. it it's in one of the articles. It's I oh, didn't pull it up, but yeah, it's one of the rules. So, so what you're saying is, it's in an article that you're paid to read and extract the important stuff. So when you say it's in the articles, that's an indictment, right? It's not really an answer. It's saying I. Did you think that was not relevant? That seems pretty relevant, doesn't it? I mean, in hindsight. In hindsight, yes. Yes, I do, I do see that. You know what they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. There's probably a saying that would be like, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I don't want to look back on 2020, you know, because it's not been a great year in some ways, or in a lot of ways, I think. <laughs> you get it? I, I actually do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Upset. No, no, it was like you had you were like three it was like one, two, you go. I didn't get it immediately and I was like, that's rather clever. <laughs> All right. Um Okay. Anything else in baseball? Steve? Nothing else. All right. NFL teams. Now, I I think innovated is fair to say. A concept of four luck factors. One of them, strength of schedule relative year to year. Number two, record in one-score games, close games. Some would say coin flip games. Number three, injuries. Now, there's rare teams some people believe are less prone to injury because of their approach to training, etc. But in general, mostly luck. And turnover differential. Turnovers, again, mostly luck, both the ones you gain and the ones you lose, but quarterbacks throwing interceptions, something a a Brady historically is going to throw less than a Jameis Winston. Now, Fez, as he's apt to do, said, huh, that's a good idea, RJ's four factors of luck. So when I looked at the notes today for the pod, I see the following. Fez's possessive four factors. I'm thinking, how? This is going to be good. Like, this is the two-time winner of the Super Contest. This is a guy with a mansion and a yacht. And I have my four factors. I am Elma J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. If I look at his four factors, there's going to be 
dimensions I hadn't even contemplated, the depth of his knowledge. So I start looking, and number one, strength of schedule. I'm like, hmm, okay, I had that one. Number two, record in coin flip games. Oh, so what's a coin flip, Steve, versus a, a close, you know, let's say a one score game? A coin flip game is a game where in the final five minutes, both teams have at least a 40% chance of winning the game. Okay. So you came up with an algorithm for this, huh? When, when did you develop it? I did not come up with an algorithm. I relied on 538 did an analysis. Oh, so you I did research. I did research the concept, and I felt and like— And you thought, you know, something. this is great. I can live from here, too. Yes. Okay. So, okay, listen. Half so far is the same. So third on the list says injury luck, adjusted games lost. Now, what's your algorithm for that? I utilize the adjusted games lost by Pro Football Focus. Okay. Now, Pro Football Focus, not Football Outside. Oh, I'm sorry. Correction. Football Outside. Yeah, don't, listen, don't bother with actually attributing it. What the hell? Okay. And then finally, turnover differential. <laughs> RJ's list. <laughs> How did you put Fez's four or five? Like, really, let's zero in on that. In this fact, is, hold on, hold this on. This is Hollywood summary. Ho here. Hold on a second. Step into the spotlight. So help us understand. All right. There are Jay's four factors. No, 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 no. We all know that. Is So what you're saying is you wrote... Four factors, and he said, "Oh, it's coming from physics, so I'm going to put physics four factors." Your notes did not say physics factors. They did not. But to be fair, I I said I put in four factors, not right. I, not I put but, in. But RJ's you did it. But you didn't four. label it physics four factors. I did not. All right, then I'm going to let you go. All right, and it makes sense what Matt did, but if you would have put physics four. That would have been pain. It would have been, let's say, extended pain. I'm just going to let it all go. Now, how did you adjust for turnovers with the quarterback? I did not make it. You figured, nah, that's, that's actually work I'd have to manually do. That's, that's if, on that, my list. Now, let, let me ask you, if somehow there was a way to grab that from a site and then misquote the site it came from, you would have grabbed it up, right? I'm going to do it myself. Thank you. <laughs> ah, okay, so through all of the muck... We came up with, you know, there's a team in here that actually, and I agree with Steve and his four factors, <laughs> that, <laughs> that this is a team that the wise guys love typically, and maybe this year we should be cautious with them, the Minnesota Vikings. So there's two factors here that are pretty much break even. So strength of schedule, it's a little more difficult in 2020, but not much. Agreed? Yes. For Minnesota. Okay. And the other one was uh, coin flip games, right? Yes. Coin flip games. Right in the middle. Right. 50-50. Exactly right 50. Expected. Which in theory. Now, is that what's expected if you're, the be if you're a good team? Like in theory, you're not going to – let's say you're a 70% team winning games. Hmm. You're not going to win 70% of close games because by definition, you're going to have games with blowouts in that 70%. But in overtime, if there's a 70% team against a 50% team – You'd rather, at even money, 
if you could have it on every game, you take the 70% team, uh, right? That's a great point. So you're saying the Vikings are— Should probably win a little bit more. 10 and 6 team, yeah, should should win more than But not the to the rate of what their win percentage is. Yes. So let's say that's a little bit of a, uh, a negative. Maybe that, slightly unlucky to only win half. Yeah, yeah but, but small on. sample size, but okay. Uh, but there's two that it really jumps out. So first one, injury. Yeah, so injuries, the Vikings were the least injured team by adjusted games lost in the NFL last year. By contrast, the year before, the Vikings weren't that injured, but they were 12th. So the rationale is, okay, every injury makes you a weaker team. You're going to have, on average, unless you're one of those rare teams, and I'm not sure how many there are. Some think there's none that are better at injuries, better at preventing them, et cetera. You got to figure, okay, they benefited from good injury luck, thus they are overrated relative to how they performed because they had this advantage not being injured, but it wasn't due to anything they did or especially anything predictive of the next year. Turnover differential. Mackenzie, do me a favor, uh, pull out uh, Kirk Cousins' number of interceptions because we do want to consider that, but without considering that, Give us those numbers. Yeah, so Vikings were plus 11 in turnover differential, one of the better numbers in the league. They were fortunate on turnover differential. So plus 11, I mean, heck, that's all. I mean, obviously it's a little less than one per game advantage. And if you just have one game, one per game, it ends up being uh, 77% of the time you cover the spread if you're, plus, if you're plus in turnover differential. Yes. So huge factor. Now, Cousins only had six interceptions in 15 games. So what we tend to do is say half weight that. So except the fact Cousins does have some real skill not throwing interceptions, if anything, that's what he is, right? He's a workman-like quarterback, doesn't make the spectacular throw, but he doesn't make the big mistake. Yes. So let's accept the fact. So that's interesting. What was the average number of inter- – if you stack rank the starters – what was the average number of interceptions, Mackenzie? I'm sure I will take a minute or two, but because my guess is it's going to be right around 15 or so, maybe 12, 13. I, I would guess 12 to 13. Yeah. All right, like, so like, that, yeah. So if that's true, we're going to have to take six of the 11 and assume, you know. And and again, though we probably half weight that. So I'm guessing we'll see what the numbers are. We maybe take three off the eleven and say they were plus eight effectively, because you got to give Cousins credit for not throwing interceptions. Yes. So just to go through my quick back of the napkin thinking, if let's just say for the sake of argument, Cousins would have had twelve if he was average interceptions. So you could say, well, take the whole plus six, and take him off your plus eleven on turnovers. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Some of it is luck. Even if you have a good season, even if you're a good quarterback, your interception count, tip passes, things like that. So, oh, wow. The QB with the 16th. Now, this is amongst QBs that qualify for QBR? No, just the 16th most interceptions. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying that only 15 quarterbacks had more than nine interceptions? Yes. Yeah, but you know what's funny, though? All the teams that had quarterbacks play split years, like Minshew and all that, they're, they're naturally going to be, you would think, on the low end just because they don't – you know, if you split your season up, your quarterbacks – no one quarterback will have that many interceptions. Yeah. But still, that, that, I mean, that's a sign of interceptions just dropping off. 
So that makes your point even more. Cousins was a little bit better than average, probably more than it seems here. Because he played the 15 games. Yeah, but not enough to, you know, maybe it knocks him down to plus 9 instead of plus 11, Mm -hmm. right? That's a wild guess. And still puts him really high. And thus the theory is, hey, don't expect the turnovers to stay like this. Also, don't expect them to do so uh, well injury-wise, you know, not being injured as well. And it seems like the Minnesota is one of those teams that the wise guys think lost some players that are meaningful, but maybe not big names. Okay, so we got the pro football focus numbers here. So refresh my memory, 60 to 70 is an average starter with their rankings, McKenzie? 70 is the average starter. 70, okay, so below 70, below average starter, and obviously it goes to replacement level. Yes. Above 70, average, or above average. Okay, Everson Griffin, 78. He's someone not signed yet, and uh, Mike Lombardi, friend of the show, talks about Griffin would be such a win for Seattle specifically. Um we got D-Tackle Joseph, who was a 71, so an average starter. Cornerback Trey Wayne, 65. Cornerback Alexander, 65. Cornerback Rhodes, who has a hell of a rep, right? He only had a 46. I'm right that he's well-regarded, though, right? I think this year everyone wanted to be smart and talk about how bad he was. Okay. But generally, yeah, he's, he's a veteran. That's, so last year was a bad year for him. Yeah, yeah. And then he's got... Uh, the safety curse, who had an 89. So that's one of the best safeties in the league? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I think in general on these, when we have these lists, there should be an extra column that if someone is, you know, top five in the league or whatever, that's always going to be more noteworthy than a random number. Because these numbers are hard to gauge, right? We know 70 now, but um, still, though. But none of these guys, the funny thing is, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, Rhodes might have as big of a brand as any of them, right? I mean, none of these yeah, guys. It's a big name. I mean, let's be candid. Could you pick any of these guys? If you walked into a club, you walked into wherever, and 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 Everson Griffin's there, are you gonna go, Griff? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So I mean, this is almost the perfect storm of losses, but not big name losses, but impactful losses for Minnesota. Yes. So you add up, they were lucky with injuries. And let's be candid, part of this is they're thinning themselves out. Whereas if you pay Cousins a lot of money, the theory is Cousins is supposed to carry you. Cousins hasn't carried him. He's been serviceable. He's been above average. He hasn't been top. Where do you got Cousins in your rankings? Because he hasn't been. If it's top 10, I'd be surprised. And... You add in number eight. Oh, wow. So who's nine? Wentz. You think that Cousins is better than Wentz? Wow. Yes. Why? I mean, you realize I'm not asking you to affirm it. I'm asking you to defend it. Sure. And I think there was a little durability in my my numbers here. Why would that be? The question is how good you are in any given game, right? And Cousins, Wentz has been a little bit better in QBR the last two years. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Better than cousins. And plus, let's be honest, I think people overdo this because you are what you are to some degree, but the weapons haven't even been close. Yeah, Cousins is, you know, um, if, you, if you look, yeah, he had digs. He doesn't have digs anymore, right? But, but, but what I'm saying is if, you, if we're looking back. Not even like, close, if, yeah. So if you're performing better with less help, how are you worse? 
shouldn't be. We'll get your we'll get your ratings. But what your thinking was what though? I mean, like obviously you had some thought to it. Well, I can't say. I can't cite durability because I, obviously these are week one, what I expect at the beginning of the year. You know what's funny, though? You could have a ranking that shifts in week one, but before that you could say, listen, almost all the bets between you know February and week one are going to be season-long bets. Right? Some people are going to be betting week one early. Some people are, you know, obviously. Some people are going to be betting games of the year later in the year. But in general, it's going to be season-long bets, right? Yes. Thus, maybe you have a season-long ranking that does. But the question is, how much, how predictive is durability? Isn't it just we think it, that, that guy's injury-prone, but in truth he's not? It just happened. You know, like Michael Jordan would have been perceived as injury-prone after his second year. Then he never yeah. got hurt again. I mean, I think some people are brittle, but I think it's only edge cases. And generally, no, but also some of it is going to be their style of play. A guy like Wentz is willing to take more hits, and thus he gets hit. Where some guys, you know, Russell Wilson, one of the reasons, they, you know, speculation he doesn't get injured is he doesn't take those straight on hits. Ah, he, he gets hit, but he gets hit going. Yeah, he yeah. slides, he does yeah. different things. So I do think with quarterbacks, you could make the case your willingness to hold the ball in the pocket, your willingness to run, put your shoulder down, all that stuff. I mean, you look at Cam Newton. Is it a coincidence that he was a, you know, has been a very physical quarterback and he's been hurt a lot? Even though he's got a great body to take a hit, to some degree your brain, you know. And again, I don't think, I don't think Cam's had a lot of concussions, as I recall. But in general, it doesn't matter how big you are. There's certain bones, you know. What did he have? A plantar fasciitis. Fasciitis. Yes, however you say that. It, <laughs> Alex. It, yeah, and you get a good chuckle. I miss. <laughs> it was like ha ah, ah. ha. Yes, I mis mispronounced the word, Steve. It was hilarious. You want me? You want to replay that, Matt? Can you want to replay? No. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that was the happiest I've seen you in weeks. It was ah. I do think though that you should have a. I do think there's a cause for durability in the preseason stuff, but that's something to consider. But I think we'd all agree. Cousins is that weird, you know, NFL theory is you either have a Hall of Fame quarterback or you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. That's how you win. And if you have to overpay or pay big for someone who isn't a Hall of Famer, it's hard to win. And if you actually look, maybe this is in hindsight easy because of the fact that Brady won so much. But Brady's a Hall of Famer, and he actually took less money, too. But, okay, obviously Peyton Manning has his, two, And now what's left is a lot of rookie deals. And a lot of the opponents had the Matt Ryan types that were good but not great and getting paid a ton of money. Dak, where's he at? Is he a Hall of Famer? And if he's not, would the Cowboys be better off letting him go, drafting some rookies, and understanding, hey, might take us three or four years, three or four cracks at it. You look at Arizona. I was looking at Phil, or uh, oh, I always forget his name. What's the young Sims's name? That's on Pro Football Talk. Chris. Chris. Chris Sims had his top quarterbacks, and he went through and did like uh, forty of them over like many hours. It was a deep dive. 
Uh, you haven't watched that price, Dave, have you? I have not. Nah. Is he had Kyler Murray, I think, 11. But Kyler Murray was certainly in the top 15. Now, you think about it. If that's accurate, and, you know, we don't know, I think it's a little high. But if that's accurate, then look, Arizona will be the poster child of how to draft quarterbacks. They spent, what, the number 10 pick on Rosen? Mm-hmm. One year in, they said, cut bait, baby. Even though the offensive line was so bad for Arizona that year, I don't know who can complete passes from their back, but they obviously saw him in practice, but now you can make the case a new coaching staff. Do we even trust what the coaches were saying because they got fired? But they said, nah, a lot of talk, get out of here. And then they said, we'll use another top pick. In fact, the number one pick. But if, if Kyler Murray is, you know, if he's 11 now, he'll be top 10 soon enough. Wasn't that the way to do it? So if Dallas had a bad year, they pick. Maybe even if you're picking 15, you just keep picking quarterbacks. And then eventually you're going to get a good one. And now you've got, in theory, five years of cost certainty. And then if they're Hall of Fame great, you sign them and keep them there the whole career. And if they're not, you do it again. Now, Jerry Jones has Father Time on his trail. And as you guys may know, Father Time is undefeated. He doesn't have time to waste. I think that's probably causing suboptimal decision-making. That said, the fact he hasn't signed Dak yet means he's at least wavering some degree on this decision because otherwise, does, you know, supposedly the, the contention is the fifth year. Dallas wants the fifth year, mm-hmm. and Dak doesn't. So, I mean, if Jerry Jones is worried about now and not thinking five years into the future, because if you were, why overpay? I mean, he knows he's overpaying the market on a lot of these players he signed recently. It's almost like he's going all in. But... He doesn't want to pay Dak, or he doesn't want just Dak for four years? When It's not like he's automatically leaving. It might be you just have to pay a premium in the fifth year or you know, for that next contract. But you only pay a premium if Dak's killing it. So in a weird way, this is one of those Insurance. things. Insurance. Say it again? Insurance. How so? You, well, you're insuring, essentially, if Dak doesn't pan out, you're like, ah, all right, we're insured against that fifth year where we, were, we wind up overpaying them, right? Yeah, I would have thought about in the in, in probably the opposite direction, which is you only have to you're only going to lament not having him the fifth year if he really does well the first four. So, and what Jerry Jones seems to be most interested in is the near term performance being really good because he does feel that sense of mortality. But again, the guy's a billionaire for a reason. I mean, I'm not one to think billionaires are stupid. All right, so what do you do? What are the actions with Minnesota? What do you do? Do you look to fade them, or you just don't look to play on them? Because historically, last five years or so, since the coach 
Zimmer showed up. Best ATS record in the entire NFL, better than Belichick. What do you do this year? Great question. I think you selectively look to fade them when the wise guys line up on them. So I'm going to wait and see if Minnesota gets the type of support that they oftentimes get from the wise guys who like to back Zimmer. If that's the case, I think we may well get value going against Minnesota. Hello. Hello, hello. Next game or topic, NBA. Today was the day, and we're taping on Wednesday, pregame.com, studios. It's opt-out day. And, Fez, you got a list of six players who either opted out recently, Avery Bradley being the big name, I think, but also some players on that list of six that opted to have, let's call it um, optional surgery at the time, or, or a, it was at their discretion. They said, why not? Pay me, and I won't play. And everyone's like, okay, sounds good. That's a good deal. Absolutely. So two guys, uh, Bojan Bogdanovich of Utah, second-leading quarter uh, scorer for Utah, opted out and finally got surgery that he's So needed. when was this? This was back in April. Okay, so this is one of the guys that made a prior decision. Go ahead. Who yes. Else? Give uh, the other prior decision. San Antonio, LaMarcus Aldridge got surgery as well. Okay, so the question is, obviously an absence on the court. That's a negative, not having these key guys. Second question is, is there a psychological indicator, bellwether? Does it tell us these teams in general aren't excited about the playoffs or potentially the playoffs? Absolutely. Okay, and could it also be maybe the rest of the team's excited, but then they saw that this decision from these guys and said, oh, man, are we the suckers? Why do we care so much? So either way, it's either the cause of lack of motivation or it could be the effect of lack of motivation. But either way, it seems like this hurts motivation for the team. Yeah, and because of this, I want no part of Utah or San Antonio. bring up a great point. There may already be an issue we're unaware of with both these teams, or there might not even have been an issue, but this will have created an issue, a motivation problem. Well said. Today, Avery Bradley, I think today or last 24 hours, opted out. I've got, I think, about as well said as we can do. Actually... Maddie Holt was involved. I forgot about that, that I mentioned it, but that we were going to play the sound. So, you know, we'll throw this at the end, right? Because this goes a while. I think it's eight minutes or so, nine minutes probably. And we're just talking about what does this mean? What's the factors? What Should the Lakers be upset about Bradley? Let's list down, Fez, the other players. All right, so Trevor Ariza of Portland has opted out. He's going through a custody dispute with his son, wants to spend more time with his son. Phoenix, uh, Kelly Oubre is out, just opted out. I don't know the reason that he did. And David Bertans of Washington opted out. His reason, prior injury issues, he's going to be a free agent, doesn't want to risk any injury. So he's not injured, but he once was injured. Yes. So if I call up for, for work and say, you know, back in 2017, I had the flu and uh, I don't, you know, I could get the flu again. So no work for me. Is that right? Yes. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> Player empowerment run amok. And listen, you can always, always, always go back and say, yeah, but... Remember back then they did this, and you know Joe Lewis once had to be a greeter outside of Caesars? It's like, okay, you're right. But this never stops if that's the case. 
So maybe they need the players need their time to be exploiting, exploitive, and maybe to some degree, if you've been exploited, you're gonna revel in it. But then we got to get to like equilibrium, I think, because otherwise you're gonna lose the fans. Because if the fans listen, when you can connect to Fezzik more than you can connect to your athletes, the athletes better start worrying. That's all I'll say. Any other thoughts on the uh, – we're going to talk about the motivation of these teams in the NBA. So, yeah, any other thoughts on these individual players? None. Okay. So you got a theory about the, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Lakers in the eight games before the playoffs. Yes, Milwaukee and the Lakers have both cruised to the number one seeds. There's only eight games that are going to be played in the regular season. Milwaukee's six and a half clear for the number one seed. In the East, the Lakers five and a half clear, number one seed in the West – both of those teams really aren't playing for anything in their last eight regular season games locked up into the number one seeds. And also because it's the finals are going to be in a bubble in Orlando, they're not even playing for a home court in the NBA finals. So really what you're playing for is who you play in the top eight. And since the finals are going to be the finals anyway, Lakers, Milwaukee, there's no competition to have the better record. Yes. Okay, so. It seems like this is not news. So the question becomes, if the market acts like the Lakers are going to play super hard or Milwaukee, obviously you're going to fade that. You're going to fade the Lakers. But I'm assuming the market's going to get this too. So the question is by how much. So if you just had to say how many points, if you did your normal, hey, here's my power rating, what adjustment are you making for the Lakers? You know, I think the Lakers, I would reduce by about a point and a half. I think that's it. So there's still, so this Laker team playing with reduced motivation, if they were playing in a league that every other team was max, you know, equally or let's say normally motivated, the Lakers would still be one of the top three or four teams. He, they would be, boy, number, that seems way optimistic. Yeah, they would actually be tied for sixth. Wait a minute. So you're saying that there's six teams within a point and a half? The Lakers are the best team, right? No, Milwaukee is the best team uh, right now. You're one of those. Okay. Yeah. So, and Lakers are second. Yes. All right. So you're saying there's, there's um, how many teams are within a point and a half of the Lakers? Actually, so it's Clippers, uh-huh. Boston, Toronto. Okay. So not near what you said. Six. So one, yeah, there's five. Well, not even five because you don't count the Lakers. Yeah, there's there's four. four. Yes, sir. Not near six. Okay. All right. That makes some sense. And, and read those teams again. Clippers, Boston, Toronto. Boy, you got Toronto. I mean, I think Toronto deserves it, but they're, they're going to be fascinating. I think it's a hell of a story. Okay. How, but you would say literally the Lakers playing with, you're calling almost zero motivation, are still like the 25th best team, 26th best team. Or, or I'm sorry, they're better than 25 or 26 teams. Yes, but I may not that be making enough. Right. It may not be making enough adjustment. I, you know, I gotta wonder if they're average. Mm. Right? I mean, if they're not playing, if I mean, I guess obviously if LeBron doesn't play, the question is, does LeBron? Ju- I think LeBron probably plays himself. I think this feels like preseason game. I tell you what, if the Lakers are only a little bit better than average, we're gonna make a lot of money betting against. You think them. the market? Okay. Yeah. So here's the question, and we can go back and look. Well, if the Lakers, you know, they were considered one of the best teams coming in, what was their typical odds in a preseason game? Were they, like, clearly better? Or were they, was it all like, hey, all these teams are pretty much the same? Well, maybe we look at the preseason odds and feel like that's a good— because I think they're going to be playing themselves into shape. 
right? Or at least get game shape that way. So I think LeBron plays most of the games. He just probably plays 18, 22 minutes. You know, that, yeah. that's my guess. And if he's only playing 18 to 22 minutes, boy, one and a half is, is an insufficient adjustment. All right, Milwaukee, what do you think their adjustment should be? I think about a point only on Milwaukee because they're a younger team that uh, – not a younger team. They're a team that has not <laughs> – Won a title. They've not been to an NBA Finals in recent years, obviously. So, so you think that in an playoffs in which motivation, the dynamics in general are question marks, that Milwaukee will be more laser-like? Yes. But what does that mean for the regular season? That, that means that they will be less likely to have a big drop-off than the Lakers. So that because means- the theory is they don't have the pedigree to say, don't worry about it. Exactly. Okay. So really, then, how much of a drop-off? If the Lakers are only a point and a half, you're saying Milwaukee's not any drop-off. I, well, I was going to go a point. And okay. maybe the Lakers, I think you bring up a good point. The Lakers, that one half looks insufficient to me. All right. So you're saying Milwaukee, relatively Lakers are a bigger drop. Yeah. But you stay where you are with Milwaukee being a little bit less. But, but boy, I mean, and, and, and listen, that segues into my final thought on the NBA, which is, this is unlike anything we've seen. I think that the first couple games of these eight games in the re- end of the regular season here, the completion of it, are going to be very telling. We're going to see things and answer quite. One is how fit are these guys? Some teams are going to be fit, some aren't. And I thought you nailed it. If ever there's a time to not be playing gin rummy, <laughs> to be watching billions or whatever, but just to actually watch these games, it would be the first game and game two that these teams are playing and really pay attention to what shape the team is in and what their motivation looks to be. Wags, five sticks wired now to Wendy Rhodes' personal account. So not that, you're saying. Okay. So <laughs> I think you're right. And I also think the dynamics change fast. Like we talked about this. I think Washington at a certain point is going to be – is going to have a loss that pretty much crushes them. And I think next game – you're going to see a bad performance. And I think some teams are going to almost have like a third preseason game, whereas they're going to, it's going to be a dress rehearsal. They weren't playing hard. Now they're going hard. One game. I also think that some teams might not particularly want to win because they'd rather play an Indiana versus whomever. And I also think, as you mentioned, Fez, there's one slot in the East two and three that you think has monster implications and there'll be monster motivation to be the two. Yeah. Toronto and Boston both want the number two desperately. Why? Because Philadelphia could wind up number six. Do you want to play Philly or do you want to play Brooklyn or Orlando? Obviously, you want to play Brooklyn or Orlando. Those teams should go all in to try to get the two seed. Especially with Kyrie running for president of the flat earth. I mean... I mean, he said, listen, you can have the globe. I want the flat earth. That's my domain as part of the, uh, is it the what, the coalition? The coalition, that's right. I think Hulk Hogan's going to join the coalition soon. All right, Fez, down the stretch here, I mean, this is literally, and I mean literally, not literally said figuratively, literally all bets. We got your WNBA. We got your best bet. We got Diamond Dave. We got the Hitman. Let's take just, I don't know, 15 seconds to prepare. Turning back. She just left. 
Faz, behind your walls of wealth, the boulevard is not that bad. Okay. Fez blind said, I'm going to pick the WNBA. He's, he's a, I think master is a fair word for it of the WNBA. And you know me, I'm not easy on him. So there were two, you said, here's my numbers. And you even accounted for Vig. And there's one team you were like way optimistic on, which means it's a bad effectively. The other team you were saying, nah, no chance. Godfather, no chance. But you said, no, Johnny Fontaine. <laughs> Well, you were Johnny Fontaine. The market was the Godfather. Act like a man. All right. Well, I don't know. What am I going to do, Godfather? Yeah. I mean that. My God. Do you, are you a professional imitator? Dude. <laughs> do Michael talking to the Senator Geary in the beginning of two. If you want my answer, you can have it now, Senator. That, Zero. That, that sounded like a drunk Michael. I'll it was. Like, it. it was like if you want my answer. <laughs> Like like a bourbon, like like in an alternative universe, Michael Colleone was like an alcoholic. <laughs> but at least you knew the quote, so I'll give you credit. All right, a team that you think the market's way too high on. Connecticut Sun overrated RJ. Their number one player score, Jockel Jones, number three in MVP voting last year, eh, doesn't want to play. Opted out of the bubble in Brady. Now, when did they make this? She make this decision? Just this week. Okay, but still, I mean, the odds we got are not stale odds. Where'd those odds come from, Mackenzie? I'm looking at five dimes in my bookie. So both, okay, and five dimes is a legit out. So okay, go ahead. And the number two leading scorer, Courtney Williams, for Connecticut, she demanded a trade, wanted out of Connecticut at the end of last year. So here's a situation that the leading scorer and the second leading scorer both didn't want to be on the team. But the one is on the team, just disgruntled. They're or, both or, or has They're the both one been traded? been traded to Atlanta, okay. yeah. But did they, what did they get back? Yeah, not, they didn't get fair value for it. Okay. And so, right. so, so is this just a matter that they figure there's no – since you can't bet no, you know, there's no rush to get those odds up. There's going to be some suckers that bet this on legacy thoughts. And in truth, why – I mean, this is, again, you know, there's a reason – that we play cockroach drop all the time is they're cockroaches. They figure why not, right? Yes. Or I mean, what else could I mean? They they would not. T so what? Minus seven fifty would be a fair vig here on the note. They're not taking that bet, are they? No, they're not. Okay, so let's not belabor this. The other one we can bet. So here's a team that, and this is pretty good. You had them at ten to one. That's your fair odds with vig in it. And they're getting 20 to 1. Yeah, Chicago Sky. I don't understand why the odds makers are so disrespecting. You don't Chicago. need to understand. Explain why they're wrong. Yeah, well, Chicago solid squad last year, 20 and 14. Really good backcourt that's played together forever. Vandersloot and Quigley. Uh, a team that really it has. Wasn't Quigley the mayor of Springfield? I think you're right. Okay, maybe there's something there, <laughs> but go ahead. Um, basically, have their team intact. I can't understand, especially in a year where the regular season is only 22 games and we talk about variance and there being a bigger chance of upsets, certainly the Chicago Sky could be very good this year. I think solid value on the Sky. Okay, so really you just kind of reiterated. I mean, I, I don't feel like you gave us any insight. You're telling us why. Oh, so th it's interesting. Quigley, I'm seeing on the board here, Mackenzie put up, 
is the one who beat Chris Paul at a horse. You would think that would help their brand. I mean, seriously. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is this. Last year, and maybe it's hard to remember this, but sometimes you'll remember these kind of things. Did um, What was Chicago's odds coming in last year? I don't recall. Okay. So I guess my question is this. Let's zero in. This it, I guess there's two ways for a team to be underrated. One is they've changed in a way that people don't get. They signed this guy, or, you know, in this case, this gal. She's going to really, you know, the main problem was defending wing player, you know, that kind of stuff. It doesn't sound like this. It sounds like this is, you think Chicago's pretty much going to be the same as last year. Last year they were a decent team. That's, there's no reason not to think they're decent this year, but the market's saying, no, they've dropped way off. And you're saying you can't really pitch Chicago other than saying you think they're the same team as last year, effectively. And, and the best teams in the WNBA got a lot worse. Washington lost Christy Tolliver, key guard. Uh, the Las Vegas Aces just had Kel- Kelly Plum uh, blow out her, her leg, I believe, for the year. She's out for the year. So a lot of the contenders, connect, the contenders from last year, Vegas, uh, Connecticut, and certainly Washington are all markedly weaker this year than last year. So in general, if, if, if the, f- the, the curve is flattening a little bit, that means someone in – like right now, where do you have Chicago Power ranked in the league? Oh, you've got my oh, – they're, okay. they're in order. Of my numbers there we go. That I have. And you can give – or at least give me those notes. Go ahead. So number five. Okay. So you're saying if there's any year the fifth team has a chance, increased variance – or a better chance, increased variance this year and – the, the, the better teams, because sometimes you like when you had Golden State or whatever, they were so good, 15 didn't have much of a chance, no real dominant team this year. Correct, and Washington was a dominant team last year. Their, their point-per-game differential, I think, was 12, and with Adela Don, who's the best player in the WNBA, along with her supporting cast, that was just a dominant team, like Golden State. And they won? Yes. How many teams are there in the WNBA? 12. You know, I don't think I've ever watched a second of the WNBA. How much of this do you watch? Uh, a lot of it. You do? Yeah, I, I don't watch it live. I go ahead and watch it, you know, on the on the replay. I think for like nineteen dollars, you can watch every game on like NFL Rewind and WNBA Rewind. And this is something where you have had a strong history of performance. Next week, we're going to be. When's these games start? They're shooting for July 24th. I don't know if they're going to make it. It hasn't been announced the exact date yet. No, that's a guess. But and you know, end by the end of the month. And you think that, and we'll talk about why, but you think the profit opportunity is even bigger than usual. And historically, your WNBA has been very strong. Yeah, 65% over the last three years. Boy, he, he, he'll throw the number in when it's an eye popper. The only monster here is the gambling monster that has enslaved your mother. I call him Gamblor, and it's time to snatch your mother from his neon claws. Nope, nope. There's no getting away once you start. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. No reason to get depressed, Faz. Go. All right. NFL Week 1, RJ, Arizona, plus 7.5 at San Francisco. 
Number one reason, Arizona's offense, it's a bad matchup for the 49ers defense. We've spoken about that. 49ers D does not like mobile quarterbacks. And there's a reason Arizona averaged 25 and a half points against San Fran last year. Kyler Murray, obviously a mobile quarterback, gives the 49ers all kinds of trouble when Arizona has the ball. Okay, so are you attributing this to anyone? The, the uh, I mean... Seems like there might be someone in with an earshot or even... Would that be the great one? R.J. Bell, I don't know. maybe? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, I, as much as I have confidence, I don't personally say those kind of things. Talking about the great one, R.J. Bell. But others do. So what I'll ask you is, I mean, honestly, like, wouldn't you say, you know, R.J., you've been talking about this and of the uh, football outsider, you know, like, you recall that, right? Yeah, and I also recall... But, but, but hold on, hold on. So, like, would it, when do you attribute? Well, I'm going to attribute right now. No, you... no, no, but that's not my question. Hmm. When do you attribute? Not as much as I should. I know. When do you? When I have to. Is that right? No, I mean, I... No, that is the answer, actually. <laughs> we just got to it. I mean, that's the thing. If you ask long enough, you'll get the answer. Well, and I think you nailed the fact of that San Francisco defense. Everyone kept oh, saying I know, I know I how did. good they were. I Look know, at the stats I, here I today, know I right? did. I know I did. But that's what you are supposed to acknowledge. Yes, and after week eight, obviously, the 49er defense had a precipitous drop, and you nailed it. Wow, that D was not what it was, the dominant D, the first six, seven weeks of the year. But specifically, I don't know what that means to this year. But what I know is Arizona had uh, shockingly good performances against San Francisco. So, McKenzie, there's some stat, two out of the top 11 or something? Yep, in offensive DVOA for the whole season, all games. And it was two of 11? Yeah, uh, yeah two of the top 11, Jeez. Arizona versus San Francisco. I just guessed. I mean, I knew it was somewhere in that range. That was good. Okay, so literally... If you take so, what are there? Two hundred fifty-six games in the regular season. Yep. Okay, so of the, if you take the top eleven offensive perform, and, and, and in theory that not in theory, it's going to be uh, what five twelve, right? Two fifty or yeah, is there's five hundred and twelve offenses, right? Because two hundred fifty-six games, there's an offense on each yeah. side. Is amongst the five hundred twelve offensive performances, if you take the top eleven. Two of those were the two games Arizona played against San Francisco. That's shocking against a defense that was, one, in theory, one of the better defenses. Yes. So there's something fundamental there that Kingsbury was doing. And the fact they did it both games, I think it's telling. So to me, if you like San Fran, which I don't think you can, you gotta, it feels like you've got to like the over. You know, meaning... The way this goes, it feels – I mean, I wonder, do you just go team – do you like maybe team total on Arizona more? You know, I actually like Arizona more because I'm worried okay. about the San Francisco offense because of the wide but, but, but what issues. about Jimmy G? Well, you got who's he going to throw to? So you've got – Apparently, he doesn't throw to anyone ever because he misses open receivers. Yeah, so his wide open wide receiver Sanders that he missed in the Super Bowl has moved on to New Orleans – 
and his number one wide receiver, Samuel, broke his foot a month ago, and it's very unlikely Samuel will be back, and that's going to leave I love him, Jimmy G. That's going to leave him with uh, a rookie um, wide receiver, Nayuk, from Arizona State, and a bunch of guys that caught fewer than 400 yards at wide receiver. Done? Done. What could we have done to stop you before? Like, if I would have had, like, a marching band come in, would you have just kept talking through it? You know, Artie Lang on the Howard Stern Show back in the day used to say, a lot of people, when they get sick, they don't eat as much. He says, I eat right through the flu. It's kind of like that. Like, Like, if we, let's think about it. If we had this... But here's the thing. There we go. I'm reading this, but still. Bananas. Next up, the hitman, one of Fez's uncredited sources. Is that fair to say? Very much so. And he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't care. But he gets his credit because he's part of pregame. I mean, just for putting out with Fez. No, this guy is, I'll say this, and it's unequivocally true. When I read the Hitman's stuff, he has a perspective that I haven't seen with any other handicapper. And to me, and Mackenzie and I were talking about this today, if someone, and this is actually the same thing we talked about Dave Esler about from a different perspective. If someone is like a watered-down version of a wannabe wise guy, they're useless to me. Because I know exactly what the wise guys, at least the consensus opinion is. And I know the reasons and the rationale. And a big chunk of my success betting, remember, this year, and we, you know, there's no announcement to make at this point, but there's a real chance we're going to have a monster situation where we're going to raise the bet to 1000 bucks instead of 300 And it's going to be wise guy on wise guy, sharp on sharp violence with a, uh, you know, potential other person in and and the plan right now is to have Maddie in so it should be really exciting but I've made most of my money in those situations from fading convention whenever convention becomes too rote too yeah but you know you can't lay nine and a half blah 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 it's usually wrong eventually because enough people are want to be wise guys now the market is shading against that, you know, where it's expensive to be on that side. Of, maybe not against the opener, but later. And Hitman just got a different perspective. And he did very well in the circuit contest. He was in the leaderboard almost the whole year, wasn't he? Yeah. He was a half game away from winning the first quarter, right? Yeah, he lost on Dallas against the Saints, or he would have been first. Exactly. Did you give him that? Was that your pick? It was not. <laughs> Let's listen to the Hitman. Best bet, Stephon Diggs under 1,050 receiving yards at Fox Bet, and I like this one all the way down to 950. Let's start off with the fact that Diggs has never played a 16-game season in his entire five-year career, and he's only eclipsed this number once in his five seasons. Plus, we have the fact that the coronavirus is working against Diggs because he's not going to have much time to get acclimated to a new quarterback and new team due to a shortened offseason. Wide receivers often struggle even with a full training camp and full offseason program to get acclimated to a new team. So how is Diggs going to do it in a shortened offseason? Plus, I have some major concerns with how Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are going to mesh. 
Diggs' strength of his game is his deep ball receiving. And Allen, last year, ranked 29th among 36 qualified quarterbacks in deep ball passer rating last year. I can't stress enough that Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen from a passing perspective is a huge downgrade for Diggs this upcoming season. Best bet, Stephon Diggs, under 1,050 receiving yards. Now, that was youth. And remember the hitman, Tommy the hitman. He's from Jersey. He has the name the hitman, but he weighs 148 pounds, six foot, and he's a school teacher. Or at least he was. Is, that, is he teaching still? You don't know because that's not making you any money, right? I'm not sure. Exactly, because it doesn't affect your your bank book. You, you know, he did invite himself over to my place. Can you believe that? He says, next time I'm in Vegas, I have to get, I'm going to have to get together. Maybe that's a sign. So he, what did he say exactly? He says, next time I'm in Vegas, I'm coming over, Fez. He didn't even ask. He just said, I'm coming over. <laughs> coming over to your house? I'm like, huh. But why? <laughs> so that's interesting. We've already established today that some just hardcore fan has no chance. But a guy that, I mean, the Hitman's probably made you well over $10,000 I mean, probably a lot more, but but let's just use a very conservative number. Well over ten thousand, correct? Yeah, that's accurate. But if you wanted to come by for hmm, a lemonade, you find it offensive. In fact, so offensive that you hang him out to dry when he's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> that's how offensive. Is that correct? Yes. Yo, homeboy! Welcome to the hood, brother. I mean, this man will. <sighs> What's the word? What's the word when you lose your faith in humanity? Disen- not disenfra- uh, disenchant? What? Disenchanted? Yeah. Disillusioned? I- yes. Mm. That's a good one. He, Steve Fezzik will disillusion an innocent person quicker than anyone. It's almost like, would you rather drop him off in like Hell's Kitchen with like $20, you know, with a pork chop around their neck? I mean, it's like... Because he'll do it with a howdy-doody, goofy smile on his face. But in the end, you're not going to wonder who to trust. You're going to wonder if there's any God. I mean, but in a way, it serves a purpose. Like, the theory is, if you, maybe this is your rationale, Fez. If you take them, maybe they lose their money or whatever for a while. You know, but in the end, they get their life. And they'll know, you'll, you'll teach them not to trust people. And thus, they might av- you might help them avoid something really bad. Yeah. This business is a crapshoot. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You gamble and you lost. Now, you've made a lot of money with us before, and you make a lot again. We always take care of our friends, you know that. Except you're the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, they always get to ship. Maybe. Now, do you ever think... It'd be nice if I got took once, because then you can feel like that you're not always the taker. No, because then you'd be in a bad mood. Yeah, and... and no. No, exactly. Next up, <laughs> Diamond Dave Esler. Now, if you have a name like Diamond Dave, you're thinking, this guy's got diamond rings, he's got... No. What you have is a guy who looks like a retired accountant, but... He's won as much as anyone ever at pregame. It's that simple. And he comes at it from a perspective very different. And I value it. Dave Esler. 
I like a bet the Patriots plus 125 to miss the playoffs. You know, I'm a lifelong New England fan. People have been asking, and here it is. You know, aside from the obvious, they went two and three in their last five games and lost the home playoff game. So they got zero momentum going in. Um, they scored 420 points last year, which absolutely won't happen again. They only allowed two and a quarter, which given their schedule last year and this year won't happen again. Uh, not when you consider they lost Collins, Vanoy, Shelton, and traded Deron Harmon, four defensive starters. And obviously their basic strength of schedule last year was 32nd or last. You know, the rest of the AFC always plays them tough. I think they smell blood outside of the division this year at Seattle, at KC, at Houston, weeks 15 and 16 in the West Coast. So that's three trips into uh, three games in the West Coast. They play the Ravens, the 49ers, Denver, and Baltimore. Their starting tight end is Matt Lacoste. He caught 13 passes last year. They lost two of their best special teams players, Nate Ebner and Landon Roberts, the free agency. I think the Bills do win that division, and the Patriots at plus 125 are out of the playoffs. This guy knows New England against Belichick. I think there's some truth, and here's what I'll say just from my perspective. I think Belichick has a – he wants to roll the dice with Stidham. Why? Because if he ends up being good – He's got two more years at cost certainty with him, and there you go. And, it, and, and then New England gets out of salary cap jail or whatever you want to call it, and they can really make – I mean, imagine the splash they could make with some money with a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. And if not this year – because remember, Brady had, I think, a $13 million cap hit. That hurts a team. Hmm. So this is going to be a tough year anyway. Roll the dice. Maybe you get lucky. And if not, Stidham's gone. They sign a quarterback. Who knows what? But they're out of cap jail. So I think Belichick's trying his hardest. I don't think there's any tanking. But I think he's saying it's almost like, Fez, if you need to make 10000 by Monday or you lose and you're down, which is analogous to cap jail, you lost Brady, you make some bets that are long shots but good value long shot bets. Figuring if you hit it, great. If you don't. You were in trouble anyway. Sign Cam Newton or something. One, I don't know if they even have the money to. But then you don't get a chance to see if the Stidham bat works. Yeah. So it feels like this is kind of a hybrid answer that I think that what Belichick is doing is optimal, as you could imagine, for the situation. But I think it, there's not a great chance of it working. But it's still it can be the best decision, approach, but still not be a good approach. Sometimes it can be the best and not good. I think that's a good way to say it. I think it's a great way to say, hey, sometimes you just got to bet like on one number on a roulette table or maybe Belichick's betting on 1 through 12, right? If it's a crooked wheel, but Belichick's not making a negative bet. Well, like a roulette tournament where yeah, there you for go. him to take the lead. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people have been in roulette. How many roulette tournaments have you been in? I've been in none. You ever see those slot tournaments? Oh, those I've been in. You have? Yeah. I've only seen one, but it's like how fast you press it. You get carpal tunnel banging on the the Almost like coal miners. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The coal miners. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. They'd be poor McKenzie, not crowd. He's (laughs) He's a big dude, but, you know. All right. What do we got coming up? Well, first... Let's just say this. When it comes to the poker, there was a shocking turn of events. 
Almost like if there were a soundtrack, it'd be... We have it on video. Hollywood, listen, he has that name for a reason. We're going to do this. Let's just tell you it was shocking. I'll tell you I'm not happy about it. I'll tell you that Howdy Doody here has a smirk on his face. Two-part video. First event, second event. First one out Friday. I'm going to tweet this out. I haven't tweeted out a lot of these, letting them get their footing. Feedback's been good. But I'm going to tweet this out. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Steve, you will too. At Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K. Friday, you'll see the first one. Monday, the second one. And then Wednesday, next week, taping, we'll get the, the aftermath, we'll call it. The aftermath. All right. You know something? I'm going to, ha- I'm going to actually re-listen to this Avery Bradley stuff because it's good. You know, radio is different than podcasts. I'm going to listen, and then I'll come back with a quick word at the end. Let's listen. We've got the NBA season and a player who has opted out of the Orlando bubble. What is the Vegas lead here on this Wednesday? It's, to me, Avery Bradley. And I think if we look at the numbers, look at the reality of this, it's something we haven't really seen. And player empowerment something we've talked a lot about. I think a lot of it's justified. I think some of it might be going overboard. I'm not saying this is going overboard, but we literally have a key player, Fez. Is that fair to say for the Lakers? I mean, certainly second tier. Starting player. Well, that's pretty key, right? No, he's, he, he's not well, very I understand important that. Let, let me get something straight. He, I, he's not LeBron. <laughs> he's not Anthony. D. I got that part. Yes. But he's one of the five best players on the Lakers. I, why would he start? I don't know why he starts. I'd say he's oh, like the seventh okay. best. Well, man. listen, Dr. Fezzik, <laughs> he knows more than the coaches. <laughs> but according to the coaches, you know, the dumb, dumb coaches, you know, this is one of the five best players on the team of the favorite to win the NBA title. And he's saying, nah, I'm not going to play. Yeah, and it was announced on Tuesday, Lakers guard Avery Bradley is opting out of the NBA's restart in Orlando. Bradley's son has a history of respiratory issues, and Bradley doesn't want to put him at risk. So he will be sitting out the restart of the NBA season coming up in July. Okay, let's start with what I believe is the false logic behind this decision and maybe i'm wrong uh hint hint i don't think i am but here we go anyone step up and tell me if they think i'm wrong if avery bradley said you know as much as i'd like to see my kids you know every day or almost every day let's say you know occasional guys day maybe but let's say he's you know best father ever what it would take for him to have zero risk to his kids would be go play basketball, be there as long as you need to be, and two months is the outside. Lakers being a favorite, very likely it could be two months. As soon as you're done, could be sooner too, as soon as you're done, you take a test. Before you go home, the test comes back negative, you walk in the door. Hey, kids. At that point, the chance of, and correct me if I'm wrong, Avery Bradley giving or transmitting the virus to his boy or any of his family would be zero. Unless the test is, I mean, I, I guess we couldn't figure anything 
if we don't trust the test. Thus, he's not choosing between basketball and risking his kids' health. He's choosing between basketball and not seeing his kid physically for up to two months. Exactly. Not saying that's the wrong decision. I'm just saying that feels like the decision. Would you agree with that, Jonas? Yeah, 100%. All right. So now the question is, why is it being framed by most people the other way? That he's choosing his faith, that, you know, love. He doesn't want his kid to die just for basketball. It doesn't seem he doesn't want to not see his boy for too much. Now, again, that's a wonder. The opposite is the father doesn't care. I'm not saying that's bad. But Lordy B, what we are moving towards is a guy who made this year and he's made a lot of money in his career. Avery Bradley. His contract, $8.8 million. And if we do the math here, 14 divided by 92, if the Lakers end up going far enough to have the max share of this money, which is likely, right? Yeah. He would be given back about $1.3 million. Mm-hmm. So he's saying $1.3 million versus being able to stay home, not do the job, you know, not do the job I was contracted to do, which is fine. I mean, obviously the NBA is saying we got no problem with it. My question is, what do his teammates think? Does Bradley go? And I'm not sure, McKenzie, if you want to look at that, is what's Bradley's contract for next year? But Jonas, if you were on the Lakers and you were fighting for a title and one of your starters, even if Dr. Fezzik doesn't necessarily agree with that, says, you know, I'm choosing not to play, does that affect your opinion of him next year? No, that wouldn't bother me personally, but I could understand why it would bother other players personally and maybe there, why there might be some distrust moving forward. Fez. It would bother me a lot. I mean, let's, let's face it. He's not going to see his son for a month anyways. There's restrictions against families coming to Orlando until after the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, but, but it's not a month anyway. If he doesn't go play at all, yeah. he gets to see him today right? and tomorrow and the next day. So every other player in the NBA is able to be away from their families for a month, but Avery Bradley has made this his priority. Oh, and by the way, the Lakers are favored to win the NBA title. As a teammate, he is letting me down. You know what we're thinking of doing? Matt Holt joins former bookmaker, U.S. Integrity, CEO, founder. We're thinking of getting the All in the Family theme song. Remember? <laughs> when he goes, oh, the way Glenn Miller played Archie Bunker, right? Sure. And whenever Fez has like a political take, we're going to just play like Archie Bunker's theme. And that. I mean, he, he <laughs> said, if Archie Bunker were here, it'd be like, Archie, who said it? Fezzik or Archie Bunker? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be fun. What's your take on all this? Yeah, I look. I think during unprecedented, extraordinary times, we see extraordinary reactions. And, and what's interesting is, uh, I think a month ago, a lot of people thought there were going to be a lot more Avery Bradleys than there really were. A lot more players opting out. I heard people speculating on on mainstream, big time, uh, you know, impact players opting out. And the fact that we're only talking about Avery Bradley, who doesn't have any real commitment to the Lakers, this is his I mean, first. He's barely season. even a starter. Yeah, he really he is. I. I I actually agree with Fez there. He's only a starter because of his veteran presence, but he's been around the league forever. He's on a two-year deal with the Lakers. He doesn't have any um, emotional baggage so, so there. It is, it is a player option in 2021. So next year is a player option for Bradley. Yes. 
So, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm okay with it, actually. I guess if you're a teammate, um, you know, it's hard for a teammate to tell anyone how to feel, whether it's feelings about social no, no, no. injustice or their children right now. I think it's a hard time to tell people how they should feel about their kids. And but that you- extends, but here's the thing. That extends to you can't tell the reacting player how to feel. Sure, exactly. So, I mean, we're not saying Avery Bradley's wrong. We're saying how will teammates react? And, and I think it's very reasonable to say, you know, if we're brothers in arms, if we, are, if we have a goal of what are we willing to sacrifice for this, a chance at a title. And, again, I think framing the conversation – Correctly, that he's sacrificing upwards of 60 days with his kids, and that's it. He's not risking his kid's life if he did it right. That feels like that, that, that's not asking too little. I mean, let's look at you as a CEO, and then we'll go to Jonas and get a closing thought. Let's say that you have been working a year and a half towards a big deal, and you're ready to go do a, like a, a boot camp presentation for 10 days, and your number four guy on a team of 15 says, you know something? Kids got a recital. They've been practicing violin for a while. I, I can't go. You're going to just look and have no feeling about it. You're not, I'm not saying you're going to say the guy's evil, I'm not, but you're going to have an emotion, aren't you? I am. But, and all I ask of people is that they be prepared for rep- repercussions of what they do. I'm perfectly exactly. fine with what Avery Bradley's doing as long as he's okay with the Lakers not wanting to have him on the team anymore. And if he understands that, then great. If he made that decision knowing that the Lakers probably don't want me back next year and uh, my teammates may not respect me, then fine. And the Vegas guy said, as long as he's comfortable with the repercussions. Got a lot of holes in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Closing thoughts, Jonas. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with Matt. I think that it's a situation where everybody's got to do what's best for them in the moment. But understand that, especially now, and we've seen it with every other story that's gone on, there's going to be people that support you and people that are critical of it. And as long as you can handle that and deal with that, then, then you're free to do what you want to do. I also wonder if he talked with teammates before he made this decision or if he just decided this on his own i mean i think i can almost envision the conversation listen guys i'm barely a starter i mean what's the real (laughs) consequence here (laughs) last thing so jonas but let's revert you know let's use an example brady quinn you guys are getting some feature week on you know noon to whatever and it's like some big opportunity and Brady Quinn's like hey I've got a, I got a couple massages planned and massage envy doesn't give you a refund I mean obviously <laughs> we're having fun with this but don't you see that if you're trying to achieve history I mean effectively to win an NBA title in your chosen sport meaning this is what Avery Bradley's decided is his life's work and to say for 60 days away from my kid, I don't care enough to be there even. That's a strong statement that it doesn't matter all that much. Imagine an analogy to you, Jonas. How do you feel about that person? I mean, it would depend on what the situation was. Let's say it was this exact situation. He just doesn't want to be away from his kid for 60 days. I would understand it. All right. There it. you go. Yeah. I guess maybe I'm the 
Well, Fez, you're the hardest core one, but again, it's all money. For you, it's just pure money somehow. Well, it's perfectly fine if someone on Phoenix or someone on Washington opts out, in my opinion. See, what's funny is that's just you, though. <laughs> it, meaning that for you, mathematically, you're thinking, well, you know, I love my kid, but I don't love him enough to give up a 14.8% chance at the title. But if it was 1.8%, come here, sonny boy. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even deny it. That's what you got to love. Boy, Fez, that dude... He's one of the smarter guys on radio. Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> but listen, the thing I know for sure is at some point the players are not always right. And I think that even as Rowdy Roddy Piper would say, I think the wrong question in a way was being asked regarding are the Lakers more important than his kids? It's like, well, his kids could have no risk. It's just about not seeing his kid for 60 days. And I'm not saying that's fun or whatever. I'm just saying for him to make that decision when on the favorite, I'm not sure how anxious the Lakers are to have him back. I I wouldn't be. Faz, you were appalled. But again, you're like Archie Bunker with this stuff. Yeah, if you're in a position to contend for a title, in my eyes, it's a much different situation than being a team that has almost no chance, and it's much more forgivable that players choose not to play in that circumstance. I don't think so. I think it's equally bad. In a weird way, I almost think it's better because you know the guy's legit if he's doing it. with. In a way, what you're saying is even if you don't want to play, the, the, the title will make you play. So you're saying actually you're playing, but you don't really feel it. I think the guy, you know, it's like the guy who starts the game injured, when it's a meaningless game, that means something. If you play in the Super Bowl injured, it doesn't mean as much. I'm talking about character here. Uh, I almost respect the fact he doesn't care that they have a chance at the title. And I also like, actually, they didn't talk about social justice, meaning he could have easily said, well, you know, considering what's going on, he just made it about what it truly is. I don't like the decision, but I respect the candor. And I'm not saying that if it was about social justice, that's a bad thing, if he would have held out or not played. I'm saying, obviously, it wasn't that, and he didn't make it about that, which, again, feels honest. So I think Avery Bradley gets an A for honesty and a D as a teammate. And that's it. Talk to you next week. 